Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. I am the CEO of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything needed for real estate investors, tax, business, legal advice, asset protection, you name it, we got it for the real estate investor. I'm here with a good friend of mine, uh, Andrew Cushman. He is a phenomenal individual, very well-versed in real estate, uh, makes a killing at uh, getting into deals uh, at the right time and improving upon them to get maximum returns. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I think today we're talking about a best deal. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that, that, that sounds good. Excellent. Well, um, before we get into the best deal, Andrew, um, can you give us a little bit of background just for the listeners of what they need to know about you for what it's like, who were you um, before you got into this deal? Kind of set the stage for us. Yeah, I uh, I took the traditional path into re- into real estate and went and got a chemical engineering degree. Um, but uh, even 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 in high school, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know how or what. So the engineering degree was kind of a fallback and, until I figured it out. And uh, so I worked as an engineer for about seven and a half years for a big food company. And then my wife and I discovered. Um, how to flip uh, houses uh, by uh, talking to people who are in pre-foreclosure. And we found that in 2007, did our first deal in, tw- in 2007 here in Southern California where we lived and, or still live. And uh, that first flip went great. And I basically you know, made as much as I did all year at my job and said, you know what, it, this is the best opportunity that we've ever seen and we're going to go for it. And so I walked in and quit my job. I went into flipping full time. Two years later, my wife did the same thing and we've been business partners ever since we flipped full time uh, for, I guess, four or five years. Uh, We had some really good years in 2009, 2010. And then we looked around and said, you know, this has been great, but it's not going to last forever. What's the the next big thing? All these people are getting foreclosed on. They got to live somewhere. They can't buy a house for probably seven or 10 years. Most of them don't want to buy a house. Uh, we just came out of a huge recession, which means we're going to be in an expansion. So look at all those factors. What's probably going to do really well? And we said, all right, so apartments. Uh, so what we did then is we, ha- we had a mentor for single family flipping. And we asked him, say, hey, do you know anybody who can teach us apartments? And, he's, and he actually said, yeah, I do. He connected us with a guy who at the time who had done about 800 units. We hired him to, uh, as a mentor to teach us the business. And then our first, uh, first deal was 92 units uh, out in Macon, Georgia, which is the other side of the country. And uh, we, we bought that. Uh, I guess that was early 2011. We've been doing apartments full-time ever since and have done about 1,800 units uh, since we started. And so far, so good. Wow, that's awesome, Andrew. I mean, what a great way to get started is, you know, somebody else coaching you along the process. You know, that's something we always think about is, um, you know, whenever you're starting something new, having somebody that's older and wiser than you to help guide you along the way is always a good way to know that you're on the right path to, to being successful. How did you recruit that relationship? 
because uh, sometimes everybody's looking for a mentor, right? And sometimes yeah. getting good mentors are not not so easy to get. So how are you able to get a good one? Yeah, we, I mean, we were, we were fortunate that, that things worked out that easy. It's not always that easy. Uh, the, the mentor we had for flipping houses was somebody that we had met and hired through, not, not, I wouldn't say a guru, but a, a, a local flipper that had put together a class that was teaching people. And then the person who was doing apartments was uh, just connected with them. And he uh, was at the time was considering, you know, coaching people and taking people on and maybe teaching a class. So we just kind of connected at just the right time and uh, it, it, it worked out. And then actually we became friends after that. And I guess, what is this seven, eight years later, we're still doing deals together and talk on a weekly basis and, and all of that. So, but basically, you know, word of mouth uh, and connecting with people. Very cool. Well, the, uh, it's like comes down to like the networking, right? Like how networking is your most important thing. Cause it helps you find the people, you know, and do it. Definitely. And I mean, that's true in any business, but especially in multifamily, it's very much a, a we business. Uh, you, you, know, you can do a few things uh, as a solo guy, but uh, it, it, it's pretty tough. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the getting into the, the, this best deal, um, when, you, when you first started looking into it and first got into it, what were the major roadblocks, um, if there were any, uh, that made you think, well, maybe this isn't the right deal? There are, there are quite a few. There's, uh, the, so this, the, this particular deal was something we purchased in 2014 in East Atlanta. Uh, so back in that time, uh, you know, that, that was a part of Atlanta that still had not begun to recover from the Great Recession. Or had at least well, had bottomed out, but there was still quite a, a fair amount of distress there. So the property itself had been foreclosed on and the guy who was currently selling it at the time had owned it for about two years. He bought it out of foreclosure. He fixed some of the major stuff like roofs and foundation and whatnot. Uh, and then he kind of filled it up with not the best tenants and then he was selling it. Uh, but, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't an overly distressed property, but it wasn't exactly clean either. And then the market there, uh, again, like I said, still had a fair amount of distress. So one thing we had a tremendous amount of time was getting a lender for it. Uh, nobody wanted to lend in, you know, in that area in, at that time. And it wasn't a, a really bad area. The median income was $40,000. So we're not, you know, we're not talking ghetto, but still just kind of a, a rougher half of town. And so we actually went through 65 lenders to find uh, a bank that would eventually give us a loan on that property. Wow. That's incredible. How do you work your way through that many lenders? Again, not by yourself. We had a, uh, I had a couple of really good uh, mortgage brokers that just would not quit and kept digging and digging and digging until they found somebody. And just kind of like how I found my mentors, it was similar. The, the, the bank that ended up giving us the loan was because uh, one of the mortgage brokers that we still work with to this day had a friend who had a friend who knew like the president of the board of a one, one uh, branch bank in, in a little town in Georgia. And this was kind of their specialty and they were willing to do it. And we still, again, now we still do loans with that bank today in Georgia. And it's kind of, it's a very, you know, quick, easy, almost kind of handshake type of deal. So. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> How much of your time would you say that you invest inside of like the relationship side of what you do? Um, cause it seems like most people I think are really driven to like, Oh, I want to do my social media, send my emails, do my text messages, you know, all the, the, the task oriented things about real estate, but it sounds like you've really focused into the deep relationship building to get like, you know, primary, secondary, tertiary contacts. 
Yeah, I mean, and I, I I fall into the same trap. I'm very much the the task, especially as a former engineer. I'm very much the uh, the, the task oriented person, uh, and I'm actually working on trying to keep myself more focused on on building the relationships. You know, the the email and the text and the social media. Yeah, all of that is good and well, uh, but it's secondary to forming real relationships. And by real, I meaning you know the person. You you maybe you see them in person occasionally. Maybe you might be at a conference or a mastermind or, or you know touring a property or something like that. That's that's all fine. Uh, somebody that you actually talk to on the phone occasionally. Someone that you have a one-on-one email conversation with, not necessarily just from a, a blast that you sent to forty-five hundred people. Those are the real relationships that are, are critical to to succeeding in the business and building a team and making the kind of contacts that are going to actually help you succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that those are really important things that the one thing I think people get caught up in doing that work is that it's um, a lot of times it's not a lot of fun, you know, so, so, you know, one thing I learned in, in the flipping business doing pre, pre foreclosures is I, I used to cold call people in you know they'd get a notice of default and i'd call them up i don't know and 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 and, you know ask them if there's any way i could help and you know knowing that every once in a while someone's best solution would be to sell me the house well that's not exactly the the easiest conversation is hi i'm a stranger i'm calling you to talk about your financial problems right i mean most people aren't real receptive to that so that that build so that's a great way if you want if you want to build up that that muscle of making phone calls and not worrying about rejection just go make a few cold calls like that and it'll get you through that no problem everything else after that's a piece of cake yeah right like don't be afraid to cold call people right i mean if you if you want to talk to them yeah and, problem, and, and yeah. the thing is most most brokers and most people that you're going to be dealing with you know outside of the foreclosure world are are, are going to be either happy to talk to you or at least easy to work with so yeah what is uh what how do you do that typically let's say that you want to meet somebody and they're hard to to reach you know like you have like somebody's like man if i could meet you know xyz person that'd be a huge opportunity for me but man they seem really hard to reach like how do you would you pursue going after somebody like that couple things. The first thing I would do is I would reach out to my existing network and see if anybody in my network already has a connection to that person because a warm introduction uh, is, is the, by far and above the best way. Uh, so like, for example, if, you know, if I wanted to get in touch with you, Scott, I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd, maybe I heard you, uh, I said, I've heard you on several podcasts and let's say I heard you on a podcast where I know that podcaster, I would reach out to that podcaster and say, Hey, um, you know what? I was a great, that was a great episode. And I've been, you know, I'd like to talk with Scott and I would love to get connected with him. Could you, could you connect us? Maybe just be via, via email or something like that. Um, I've done other things where I shot a quick video just on my phone with somebody that I wanted to get in touch with who was fairly high profile and I had no connection to, but I knew somebody who uh, did know them. So I shot a quick video on my phone in my backyard as an intro and then went to that person who was a mutual connection and said, hey, could you forward this to the person I'm trying to get in touch with? And sure enough, I got a response you know, within a day or two. Um, so that's the primary thing. The other thing is, is get, you know, these days everything's available on the internet. It's out there permanently. Uh, you know, without being a stalker, try to learn what you can kind of about that person, what their interests might be, and then see if you can find a way to send them something either that's of interest to them or just might add value. 
uh, and, and uh, you know, to, to, to what they're doing or what their, you know, what their, their business is. And, you know, those would be the, the, the top two things that I would do. And then the, you know, probably the third is just sheer persistence. You know, sometimes an email gets buried, uh, and, you know, especially if it's someone who's busy or, or high profile, they, you know, then they're going to get a lot of requests. And uh, maybe the first five times yours just gets lost. And on the sixth or seventh or 18th time, uh, you know, that email might connect. But uh, that would that would be uh, after the first two methods that I mentioned. That's awesome, Andrew. I think that um, one of the pieces I think everybody uh, misses, or at least I see time and time again, I see you agree with us, and when they're trying to form new relationships with people, whether it's like a mentor or like a networking relationship, is that what they'll do is just essentially like ask the person like, hey, will you help me, right? And that's probably like a low... <laughs> like thing to start with, you know, because most people are like, I have my own problems, man. I'm not trying to like inherit yours for free, you know, into this, right? Uh, but like actually trying to be friends with people in the modern era, you can find a lot of things and find out where you have like genuine common ground to be able to say like, hey, I don't know if you saw like this really cool TED talk about the thing, you know, that sort of thing, but I saw that you were interested in that. I really liked it. And, um, you know, by the way, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Is this something like that? Is that typically what you're thinking of? Yeah. That 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 that's a great example. I mean, if you, you know, if you're trying to reach out to somebody, definitely don't send that email like, "Hey, I'm interested in real estate. Where do I start?" Right? Because that information is already out there over and over and over again. Um, you know, if if you want to reach out to someone and maybe start a relationship where you might be able to get some mentorship or some help, you know, ask a specific question. Say, hey, you know, I'm doing this. I'm looking at a five-unit property, and you know, and and, and uh, you know, I said I heard on a podcast that you own a ton of properties in this size and in the same market. Well, what's your experience been with this? Or can you recommend a property management company? Or you know, something something specific that shows that you're already taking action and that you're motivated. And you know, I, I hate to phrase it this way, but to, to almost to say that, that you're worth the person stopping and taking their time, right? Because there's 10 million people out there who have great intentions, but very few take action. And anybody that you're reaching out to is going to be more inclined to help someone who's already taking action. Uh, so that's, you know, that that's definitely something to consider when reaching out to people. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Like a really specific question is interesting for most people. That's like good a really point. general question is really boring, you know? And like, if you're a pretty smart, successful people are usually like, they do it. I think primarily a lot of us are probably pretty well motivated by money and these other things, but probably more like at a deeper level, it could be like the puzzle of it all. Like, what do we figure out? And so interesting questions are something like, oh, that is like a really interesting question to think about. Like that actually merits a response, you know, like stupid questions. You don't want to respond to those. Well, know? yeah. And also keep in mind too, is, is not everybody's a good fit, right? Um, some people just will naturally fall into, uh, you know, a, a good relationship, um, you know, business-wise or, or other. Or other. Um, but sometimes you're just, you're just not a good connection. So that, and that's fine. That's okay. Just, just move on and, and find somebody else who is inclined to, you know, help you or connect with you or, or whatever that might be. No, very cool. So you, you developed one of these relationships with somebody to help you with your first deal. Um, and it sounds like you, you use some of these tools to probably more than this probably wasn't your first time trying to recruit somebody to help you with the deal. Is that right? Uh, this, person that you, this is the first deal you ever did where somebody else helped you. Are you talking about the first, the first apartment deal? 
Yeah, for your first apartment deal, you're your best deal here, right? Like you had somebody else to help guide you through that. And I was like, well, there's probably other people that you looked into beforehand that didn't pan out. And, and this is one that did pan out and you had a great relationship with someone. Well, you know, we were, we were fortunate that, yeah, so again, so, so for the, the flipping, we literally just, we hired somebody through a, a small, again, I hesitate to say guru, but I get for lack of a better term, right? Someone who was teaching pre foreclosures to whoever would sign up. And there were four coaches. We, we interviewed four of them and we picked the one that we felt was a good fit for the multifamily. We were fortunate that when we, when we reached out to him just to say, Hey, do you know anybody? Number one that he did. And number two, that that person was, was receptive to being a coach. Um, you know, going forward since then, you know, if I, I would, you know, I could count, oh geez, five, six, seven different people that I would consider in one level or another mentors now, but those are people that uh, I've built relationships with over time. So maybe met at a conference or met at a mastermind and we just connected and now, you know, we're all kind of peers and some, and I, and some of them have done, you know, multiples of times have as many units as I have, but because we've met and connected, I can reach out and, you know, I just, just the other day I had a question about, you know, a project I'm trying to do. And so I, you know, just quickly called three of three of these guys and said, Hey, have you experienced this? How do you solve this? Right. Five minute conversation with each one of them. And, and, you know, that really helped me, you know, figure out what I'm trying to figure out. And so that, that's kind of another point is don't, you know, especially, and it's really easy to, to get focused on this, you know, finding a mentorship as, uh, or a coach as this, this big official thing. And if you approach someone and say, will you be my mentor? You know, that's kind of like on a first date, say, Hey, uh, how many kids do we want to have? And when should we get married? Right. It's, it's a little, it's a little, little too much in the beginning. And, and it, a mentorship can be something that simple where just somebody who's already succeeded with what you want to succeed in that you can connect with and just reach out to occasionally. Um, and so and again, and so the five or six people that, that I would list right now, there's, there's a handful of others that I've either lost connection with, or we just didn't connect. Well, would they have been good mentors? Yeah, probably, but it wasn't a natural fit. And again, that's okay. So you just, you just keep meeting people, keep seeing who you connect with, keep seeing who, you know, who, who's a good fit. Very, very cool. So let's, let's turn back to the, uh, the best deal. So we, you ended up getting the, the best, this best deal together. You got it got to the financing, went through about 3,000, you know, lenders before you're able to find the, <laughs> yeah. the right one uh, that to be able to work with you. Um, and uh, then, so you ended up, so what's the next step in that story? So you end up getting the financing, you close on that deal and it's smooth sailing from there or um, what was it like buying that property? Yeah, so we, uh, we 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 got the we, we got the bank loan and they they financed part of the purchase for I don't matter I think it was probably seventy five percent of the purchase and the rehab the rest of the equity was uh, was syndicated uh, you know as the sponsors we did put in some but the majority of it was of course syndicated and we did a renovation of about um, about eight thousand dollars a unit so a little bit on the exterior and the vast majority on the interiors and so when we went went through and renovated those units we um, I think we bumped rents about $125 a unit. It was 120 something units. And so it took uh, probably about 18 months to, to work through that entire thing. And, you know, one of the things that we learned is it, you know, as the older your property gets, right. You know, you've got, you know, 2000s, 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, the, the older the property is in most cases, 
the, it, the, the more hidden problems you're going to have, right? And it also depends on how it was built. So the older you get, the, you know, the more likely you are to have plumbing issues, wiring issues, foundation issues, subfloor issues, asbestos, um, you know, all of those kind of things. And so the, the renovation, um, some of, there were some hidden costs, like I mentioned subfloors. And so what that is, is that the property that we bought wasn't on a slab foundation. It was crawl spaces, meaning you can go, you could physically crawl under the building and the floor was just joists and plywood and it was built on top of that. And so what happens is, is especially in the South where it's moist, that rots out over time, right? So that's not, that was something that, uh, you know, five years ago, we weren't, aware to to watch out for and so you know that cost a, an extra probably thirty thousand dollars or something like that to correct all of that um so some of the, so it was a little bit tougher renovating and then also uh you know in 2014 we hadn't fully developed our screening process as far as demographics and neighborhoods and, and you know crime now we have a, a very thorough process for that but we didn't have that back then and so the neighbor the demographic itself uh, was a little bit rougher than we expected, and both in terms of of crime. So it took a it took a couple you know it took a couple of years to get everything completely calmed down at the property. As far as it's you know we feel like it's very safe, nothing ever happens, and then also uh, the the demographic there was very rough on the unit. So we would renovate a unit, put somebody in it, they would move out twelve months later, and it looked like it needed to be renovated again. Uh, so that was that was another. Uh, piece that we learned is that when you're in certain areas and demographics and factoring in the age of the property, you adjust your expense level accordingly. Uh, because again, you, you know, on those turns, you're going to have more repairs because people treat them rougher and the building's older, it decays faster and some of the systems decay and that can get really expensive. So those, those are some of the things we learned in there. Hmm. Was there anything that you could do to in terms of like, uh, besides you know, raising prices and to adjust for expenses to cover that, was there like additional background checks or anything like that that you did that were able to raise the quality of the, the tenants in the apartments? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so when we inherited it, they had kind of what we call stuffed the property, meaning, you know, just anyone who can sign a lease, you put them in there so that you can say it's 95% occupied when you go to sell it. Uh, so there was a lots of lots of people that had to be, um, let's just say transitioned off the property. Uh, but once, no, once, once we take, took over management, you know, we, we require, you know, things like, you know, no violent crime history at all and no felonies um, minimum, you know, in the beginning, it might be three times income. So meaning whatever the rent is, the person has to have, their income has to be at least three times that uh, we check references. They can't have any past evictions. So having stringent screening criteria for the people that you're leasing to over time is certainly will help and will give you a much better property. But actually what I was referring to as screening is, uh, before we buy a property, screening for the the, the, the neighborhood and the area and what kind of, you know, income and crime levels and all that kind of thing. So that's, so you screen before you even buy it. And then, yes, once you buy it, you, you have very uh, strict screening criteria for applicants so that you can raise up the, the level of um, uh, quality of, of people, uh, not quality of people, but you know, you'll you have a much more stable um, uh, community friendly tenant base. Awesome. And, and uh, so, so you got a, you know, you bought the property, you're doing the rehabs, you're figuring out how the tenants need to be adjusted over time, what additional testing you could do. 
um, essentially it's like testing, right? To be able to like, you're going to test applicants more and make it more stringent for them to come in in some yes. form or fashion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that, I would imagine that that has quite the level of appreciation to a property if you're able to take it, you know, so far. You I mean, you did physical improvements and personnel improvements. Yeah, we, you know, we bought that for 2.4 million. Uh, we put just over a million into it. And then we actually just, uh, just a couple months ago, sold that for a little over 7 million, so. Wow, very nice, very, very nice. Can I ask you a question about this too? Is that, you know, a lot of times you get, uh, I think a lot of people get caught in um, uh, looking at a new property with a, how, how excited are you about the opportunity? What are the number of things that you have to look into for any given opportunity? Um, and then if you had to look all the way down into saying like, what are, <clears throat> what are essentially are the compliance pieces for who they rented the, the properties to to see if they stuffed it or not, you can see um, how like the scope of the due diligence be could become so burdensome, you would almost never get into anything. Yeah. So, do you, where do you fall in that category? Are you, are you more falling in line with saying like, well, no, I mean, if once you, once I've learned about this and learning about how people can stuff apartments now, it's always part of my, my list of things that I go through and check, or is that just a risk that you run because it's really too expensive to check and you're like, I'll just correct course if it, if it turns out to be that way. Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely, well, I guess it's expensive to check and find in terms of, of, of time and effort. Uh, but again, keep in mind, you don't have to do all of it. Um, so you, you, you know, your property manager, uh, can property management company can help. Um, any, any other members of your team can help, but no, that's, you know, there, there's, there's very little, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head where we've learned something. We're like, okay, we've got that. We don't have to worry about it. Or it's just not worth looking into. What we've done is, is over the years, we've built a large spreadsheet um, that just has, I don't even know how many items on it, probably over a hundred of different things that once we are under contract in a property, some of them from beforehand that we will dig into and investigate. And that's, you know, that might be, that, that's going to be the, the, the quality of these ex existing tenant base. So one thing we'll do is we will do a full lease audit. So that means we sit down, well, I don't personally do it. We have one of our, someone from our management company will sit down and literally read through every single lease and we will rebuild our own rent roll from the actual leases and then compare that to the existing one. And we'll look, well, how many people actually have background checks? How many people have documented income? You know, how many people are you know, consistently running late? You know, are there any weird things in the lease or anything's not, not filled up? That right there will tell us what kind of tenant base we're dealing with. Was the property stuffed? Is it, you know, have they been you know, doing proper screening over the years? Exactly. So we absolutely dig into all that kind of stuff um, as, you know, as we're doing due diligence. Yes, it would be overwhelming if you're trying to do this on 100 units by yourself. But that's, again, it gets back to this. It's a wee business. You, you bring in people to help you with it. It's, it would be far more expensive in the, in the big picture to skip anything like that than to just, to just pay it up front. And even, even if you take the time, effort, and, and actual money to do it up front, and then you find out, wow, this is a bad deal, and you have to step away from it and not do that deal, and you're going to lose whatever you know, money that you just, that you spent doing that, that's far better than doing a bad deal. No, it's it, it, something to always remember is no deal is better than a bad deal, especially if you're syndicating and bringing in other people's money. That's a beautiful way to, to wrap up today's episode. I usually like to do a lesson learned at the very end, Andrew. Um, and uh, one of the things that 
uh, I learned from today's episode uh, was um, just the ability to, you know, also be able to to correct course into it. There's a number of pieces in here that you ran into a lot of adversity with getting the financing, um, with finding out that now you had tenants that you had to transition out and having the patience to be able to transition them over the course of a couple of years and to get the renovations. Um, those are some really strong, you know, potentially people could say those are really huge hurdles to have to overcome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what's neat about that is that overcoming those hurdles um, are it essentially gave you, you know, this huge payout um, at the end of the day. Uh, so, you know, I think I take that as to heart. It's like, man, it's like the, the spirit of, you know, you stick with it and you solve it, even if it takes you years. Um, and uh, as long as the market stays strong, you know, you can come out the other side and, and, and make some a good, healthy chunk of profit off the end of that. If you were going to leave the listeners with the uh, with a lesson learned from from your talk today, what do you think is the most important takeaway? Uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and put a pin in the, in the no deal is better than a bad deal, but then also just to tee off something you just said, even if the market doesn't stay strong, you can still do really well with multifamily properties. And the key is, is to buy a, the right property in the right area and make sure that you have good cash flow. That's one of the beauties of real estate is, is if you all, if you can have a property that always cash flows well, you, in a sense, it doesn't matter what the value of it is because if you're cash flowing, you can hold and wait and make distributions and be profitable until the next big up cycle. So that's, you know, so especially where we are today, keep that in mind. Always look at what's the downside first, then look at what's the upside. And I would never ever, especially today, buy a property where I thought the cash flow could change enough to put me into a position where I would have to sell because yeah, it might not be a good time to sell in the next few years. Don't know, but it, it, it could be. So that, that would be another, another takeaway is, is, you know, don't, don't, don't be afraid of the market and, and sit on your hands and not do anything. Just, just evaluate it properly. Yeah. No, I think that's fair to say, right. It's not uh, what I was getting at is saying, it's like, well, you, you can, one of the beautiful things about real estate is that it, given enough time, and yes. you have good cash flow and enough time, you can always make money, yep. right? And Somebody else is paying down that mortgage for you. Right, yeah, so you're always gonna come out ahead if, as long as those two things are two. You got time and you got good cash flow. You can make a lot of mistakes. A lot of things can go wrong and you're still fine with all that. So thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on the show today. For everybody that wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm on LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets. Um, you can just Google Vantage Point Acquisitions. Our website is just vpacq.com. There's a, there's a contact us button on there and uh, any of those will work well. And what type of people are you looking to uh, get in contact with? You know, I'm, uh, I'm always just always looking to expand our network. Um, I'm, I love talking with other people who are in the business. Um, obviously we, you know, obviously we're, you know, we, we consider new investors as, as we move along. Um, but, uh, yeah, kind of any, you know, anyone who's in the business, whether advanced or getting started or looking to, you know, participate or invest or, you know, a variety of people. Awesome. Well, thanks Andrew for coming on the show. Of course, uh, I'm your host, uh, guy, Scott Royal Smith. Uh, Esquire. I'm the CEO here at Royal Legal Solutions, uh, your one-stop shop for everything real estate investor related. Thank you for coming on the show, Andrew, and everybody will be in touch soon. That's all for this Best Deal episode, and I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary Best Deal could be your next one, so keep at it. 
Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.